We fully believed and fully expected to win this game. I give San Francisco credit, but I, I felt like we had plenty of opportunities to kind of put the game out of reach. Didn't do enough. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. Massive, massive news day in Wisconsin sports. Joe Barry, fired. He's out. He's gone. Yesterday, Adrian Griffin, fired. He's fired. Today, Doc Rivers is in. So we're reacting to the firing of a coach. We're reacting to the hiring of a coach. Seems like more moves might be on the way for the Bucks. We have to pre-react to that. We have a lot to discuss. But first, I, I want to shout out the Milwaukee Brewers. I don't want to just just 60 seconds, two minutes. The Milwaukee Brewers, they needed a first baseman. And they did what so many fans have always wanted them to do. Go out, go out and get a bat. Go out and get a guy. They added Reese Hoskins, who's the best available pure first baseman on the market. They went and got the guy. They didn't get a guy, although Jake Bowers is the a guy. They got Reese Hoskins. They got the guy to come play first base. So before we quabble and you know discuss adrian griffin doc rivers joe barry who his replacement could be this is quick visualize i want you to close your eyes if you're able if you're driving please don't but if you're able to close your eyes it's the sunday of memorial day weekend 2024 you just stepped out onto the deck the the deck fridge has been turned on for the year the patio furniture has been brought out of storage. It's on the deck. The sun is shining. It's it's crisp, but it's warm. We can go outside and in a hoodie and slippers. It's maybe in the low 50s. Spring breeze. Sun is shining. You just went out to the deck fridge. You grab, grab an ice cold can of Liney's Light. You crack it. You walk back into the house. You left the door wide open because it's beautiful outside. There's no bugs. Fresh air. Springtime. Take a sip of the Liney's Light. <laughs> I don't have to work tomorrow. You look up at the screen. Uh, Valley Sports Wisconsin on the TV. Rock BA. BA is doing a game. He hasn't in a couple of weeks and he won't for a couple more weeks, but it's Memorial Day weekend, so he's in town. Reese Hoskins steps up to the plate. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can see it now. Like, I can literally see I'm there. (laughs) Holy smokes. I got to open my eyes. Oh, did I? I felt like I just teleported. Oh, I can feel it. God, this Reese Hoskins move is awesome. I don't know if we're going to discuss it a lot tonight because we got a lot of big coaching headlines to talk about but this reese hoskins move is awesome and i'm jacked and i'm not gonna force feed baseball content on your throat today but just know that it is in my mind it's on my mind it's on my heart today brewers baseball i'm always thinking about brewers baseball this is the wisco sports show my name is grant bills hope you've had a great day i have been chomping at the bit ever since i got to work right before bill's show this morning for the show to start because we have so much to talk about a new bucks coach we still really haven't processed what happened with Adrian Griffin yesterday. So we need to continue to talk about the end of Adrian Griffin, the beginning of doc rivers. I I don't think that beginning is tonight. I would assume Joe Prunty is coaching this game. John Horst is going to speak with the media and give a press conference. I think just after five o'clock, I think that's what the email said from the bucks yesterday. And I I am on the email list. Not to, (laughs) I did get the, the official email from the bucks. A bunch of people also tweeted it out. So I guess I'm not special. We're all privy to, to that information. John Horst will be speaking later today. So we'll get more clarification on some of the, the logistics of switching a coach in the middle of the year and their process and 
and how they're going to go about going from Adrian Griffin to Joe Prunty to Doc Rivers. A little bit like uh, like our government. I, I don't know what the amendment is that that shifts power from the president to someone for like a brief time, like if the president has surgery and is incapacitated for a couple of hours, the whatever amendment places the power on whoever's next. A little bit like that. Like that's Joe Prunty in the situation. He's the <laughs> the whatever amendment. I could have Googled what amendment it is, but Joe Prunty is being amendmented, amended. Uh, I don't know for how long. We'll learn those details later. So we got to talk about that. I want to talk about the firing of Joe Barry. I really want to talk about Badgers basketball because last night's game was awesome. So maybe we can tuck a little bit of, of Badgers basketball talk into the show. I don't know that we're going to have time for a lot of calls tonight because we have two great guests. Perry Goldstein is going to be here. Pack's What She Said podcast, Pack-A-Day podcast with Andy Herman. She's part of the Pack-A-Day pack. She's going to be here at 4.30. We can talk about the end of the Packers season and what comes next. He's for the defensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur also firing the strength and conditioning coach today, and I would assume the rest of the staff will go as he goes. We'll see. So we'll talk about some changes with the Packers. Reflect on the season. In the second hour of the show, Jake Fisher is going to be here. Yahoo Sports covers the NBA. He's one of their senior NBA reporters. He put out an article today that's saying, oh, the Bucks aren't done. Oh, they're looking to make moves. They got some money to move around. Pat Connaughton campaign. Bobby Portis would be a, a massive piece and a big contract to move if they really wanted to get nuts. They have Portland's second-round pick, which is basically a first-round pick. Actually, maybe better than a late first-round pick because it doesn't come with a lot of the same financial guarantees. And, and, and financially, it's just a lot better for a team. So that pick does have some value. We'll talk about what comes next. Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports, going to join us at... 530. I'll tuck in calls anywhere we can. I'll try my best, but we got a loaded jam-packed show tonight, and that'll take us right up until 6 o'clock when we'll begin the Bill Michaels huddle. Uh, who knows? Maybe Matt LaFleur will hire a, a defensive coordinator by then. Probably not in the next two hours, but you never know. You can give me a call if you'd like. I'll open up the phone lines in a bit. 608-321-1670. Probably easier to tweet me on a day like today if you are someone that exists on Twitter and you waste away your life on that app like I do. I'm on Twitter at Wisco Grant. I want to start with the Bucks. Because I think we need to talk a little bit about what happened. What went wrong with Adrian Griffin? How we got here, right? The road that we've taken to this point. Because the Bucks, in firing Adrian Griffin, have told us they value process over results. They're 30 and 13. Wins and losses have not been the issue this year, right? It's what's underneath that 30 and 13 record. It's the scheme not really making sense and the philosophy really not crystallizing in a way that the players understood or the players vibed with. The scheme wasn't working, the philosophy wasn't coming together, and the players knew it. They felt it, right? And as Justin Garcia told us yesterday, Bucks Radio Network, he's around the team. He's like, hey, once a coach loses the players, you can't get it back. You can't get the locker room back once you've lost it. This Bucks team is a walking endorsement of the eye test, right? and we all agree. It just hasn't looked right. Watch this team night in and night out. It just doesn't look right. Even when they win, it looks herky-jerky. It always looks like there's a little bit of confusion. Am I supposed to be over here? Am I supposed to be there? Are we crashing the boards? Are we getting back in transition? We, it just doesn't look right. This Bucks team is a walking endorsement of the value of the eye test. right? And the Bucks also haven't played a hard schedule up until this point. They have the hardest remaining schedule in the NBA. So the Bucks are, are looking at all of these factors not just the results, not the record, 30 and 13. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What lies ahead 
and they felt that it's time to make a change. The Bucks are telling us process over results because ultimately good process will get the best result. And the Bucks, based on what we've seen so far, they didn't see the season ending in an acceptable place. So we're going to deal with this now. We're going to make a change now. And there's going to be plenty of time the rest of the season to talk about Doc Rivers, you know, what he brings to Milwaukee as a coach with scheme and with philosophy. What does his, his bench look like? Who is he bringing with him? How does he handle Dame? How does he handle Giannis? All that stuff. There'll be time to talk about all that stuff. But tonight, I want to talk about the Bucks and their decision-making over the last few months to get to this spot. I think it's something we need to discuss, something we need to confront as Bucks fans and as Wisconsin sports fans. Okay. The Bucks result, their final result in this season, 2024, it could be good. It could go on a long playoff run. Hell, they could win the title. They have the stars. They have the experience. They could end up in a good place at the end of the season. They could end up with a good result. But we can all agree, I think we should all agree, and we should all say it out loud, that their process up until this point has sucked. Now, they needed to fire Bud. And anyone who says that they made a mistake firing Bud, it's disingenuous. Unless they were saying it at the time. There might have been people, the Bucks get bounced by the eight-seeded heat. There might have been people after that series saying, no, 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 keep Bud, keep Bud. Oh, okay, if you were saying that at the time, fine. You can now look back and say they never should have fired Bud, but you'd have been the only one. National media, local media, fans, fans of all teams, Bud was a punchline at the end. It needed to happen. So anybody now that goes back and say, well, the Bucks never should have hired Bud. Okay, well, that's disingenuous. And and we're revising history. So let's start post-Bud, post-2022-2023 playoffs. Let's go through this step-by-step. June 5th, the Bucks hire Adrian Griffin, four-year deal, first-time head coach. Okay? We learn about that hire. Giannis liked Adrian Griffin, but, but Giannis wasn't saying, I need Adrian Griffin, I want Adrian Griffin. Giannis was more saying, I don't want Nick Nurse. So the Bucks were then left to decide between other candidates. Turns out to be Adrian Griffin, and Giannis played a role in that. We learn the Bucks forcefully strap Adrian Griffin with Terry Stotts. It's like you are going to take Terry Stotts on your staff. He's going to be your lead assistant. You need someone to help you. You're a first-time NBA head coach. So Nick Nurse, no, we're not doing that. So instead, the Bucks do Adrian Griffin, and the Bucks say, well, we're going to force Terry Stotts onto your staff. This is an arranged marriage. That was June 5th. October 12th, the Bucks acquire Damian Lillard, and they trade away Drew Holiday, who had won them a title, cornerstone piece of their roster, into the city, into this franchise, really, and other players, Grayson Allen and Picks, to get Damian Lillard. That was October 12th. October 19th, Terry Stotts, who is the forced, the arranged lead assistant, steps down. He says, I don't want to do this. October 25th, Giannis signs an extension earlier than he needed to, Right? Early October, not early October, excuse me, early December, fast-forwarding ahead a little bit on this timeline, around the 10th of December, post-in-season tournament, the Bucks hired Doc Rivers as an informal consultant for Adrian Griffin. So Terry Stotts, we tried to force Terry Stotts on you. That didn't work. This isn't working. So we're going to bring in a consultant, Doc Rivers, to walk you through this. That was in mid-December, early December. Late January, January 23rd, yesterday, the Bucks fire Adrian Griffin and then immediately hire Doc Rivers for Buku Bucks because Doc Rivers had the leverage. He needs to be lured away from television and broadcasting with ABC, ESPN, Disney. So it costs a pretty penny. I don't care. It's not my money, but it's worth mentioning. Doc Rivers is, they, they, they're making a big investment here to bring in Doc Rivers. They're still paying Bud. They're still paying Adrian Griffin for a while. That's the timeline from June 5th to January 23rd. That's how we got to this point. 
Now, one could look at that timeline and say, well, it's a no-nonsense franchise. The Bucks, they're not wasting any time. They're willing to realize they made a mistake. They're willing to move on. Money is no object. Championship or bust. Right? And given our history with the Bucks and John Horst, I think there's some truth to that analysis. I think that's that's reasonable to think this franchise isn't messing around. They'll spend more money if they need to spend more money. We're not wasting time. We have a limited window with, with a generational superstar. We need to keep him happy, and we need to, to do what's in our best interest of winning because we only have so many runs at this thing with Giannis. Even if he stays here his whole career, each one of these years are precious. We can't take a single year off. And keeping around Adrian Griffin, that's not going to get us where we need to go, so we're going to make a, chance, a change. Money's no object. This is... NBA Finals are bust. Oh, okay. Given our history with the Bucks and John Horse, there's some fairness and truth to that line of thinking, certainly. But one could also look at this timeline and think, this is dysfunctional. Okay, what are we doing? This is nuts. They completely micromanaged a guy who waited years to get his first shot as an NBA head coach. Then they fired him 43 games in. They hired a guy they didn't believe in because the guy they maybe really wanted was a no-go with Giannis. And they ended up firing the guy for the same reason, is because Giannis no longer believed in him. The roster no longer believed in him. And to be fair, with good reason, he was a good coach. But this is not a timeline. This is not behavior. This is not decision-making that screams function. <laughs> Right, This screams dysfunction. If you were to show someone this timeline without any previous knowledge of the Bucks, you just showed, hey, Team X did all these things. What would you say about Team X? I'd say, does Team X know what they're doing? Seems like they're kind of all over the place, right? And the Bucks might end up succeeding. They might. But we got to call a spade a spade. This process has been a disaster. And I think on some level, it's unfair to Adrian Griffin. By the way, don't feed me some argument about how the Dame trade completely changed expectations, right? This would have been a championship or bust season with Drew. It remains a championship or bust season with Damian Lillard. The idea that they were going to be able to slow play and develop a head coach at the expense of winning and contending for a title, no matter who's on the roster on Giannis, that's absurd, right? So the game did not all of a sudden change when Damian Lillard got here. The Bucks knew exactly what they were doing when they hired Adrian Griffin in early June, months before the trade of Damian Lillard. It was championship or bust. doesn't matter if Damian Lillard was next to Giannis, Drew Holiday, Kevin Durant. I mean, it doesn't matter. Make any roster decision or roster change that you want. As long as Giannis is here, this team is championship or bust. And I don't think Griffin was great. We've talked for weeks now about all the things that this Bucks team isn't doing well. And I'm not saying that Adrian Griffin was about to put it all together. Right? It's, it's show business. It's not show friends. That's what they say. Professional sports is a brutal cutthroat industry. But this has been a bit of a debacle. Okay? This has not been a functional six or seven months. This has been dysfunctional. Well, they're spending all the money. They're doing everything you compete. You know who else spends all the money and, and thinks they're doing everything they can to compete? David Tepper and the Panthers. You know, firing their brand new head coach, just what, 10 or 11, 12 games in, whatever it was. I'll pay the buyout. It doesn't matter. I'm about winning. Oh, okay. Okay. It is now incumbent on Bucks ownership, John Horst, and the Bucks veterans, most specifically Giannis and Damian Lillard, to show me they got this. Right? Because this has not been a functional sixth or seven months. It hasn't been. It's been dysfunctional. Now, I don't think the Bucks are a dysfunctional franchise. I don't think Giannis is a diva. I don't think he is 
uh, a head case. I don't believe that the last six or seven months is a testament to the decision-making and the acumen and the character of the biggest figures and decision-makers and biggest players within the Bucks organization. But it's now incumbent on ownership and John Horst and the Bucks. And, and now I got to see it. I need to see that you guys have that. I need to see that you guys are, are okay. Okay, because right now I got my I got my eyebrows raised. I'm looking up like, what are we doing? It seemed like this was doomed from the start, and it seemed like maybe the Bucks knew this was doomed from the start, so they micromanaged. Here, take Terry Stotts. Here, take Doc Rivers as a consultant. I, it's not been a functional six or seven months, so now the Bucks got to show me something. Show me that you are an aggressive, win-at-all-costs-money-is-no-object franchise and not all over the place, chasing your tail, dysfunctional franchise and I, I don't believe they're dysfunctional I believe that a, a really good organization had a dysfunctional six or seven months but that line has to be drawn the moment that Doc Rivers gets to Milwaukee I need to see that they got this and I think they'll show us that they got this but I need to see it now after what we've seen with this whole Adrian Griffin debacle that really started in early June and the timeline kind of wrapped up yesterday as I did my best to outline hope that made sense Let's take a three-minute break I want to talk about Joe Barry he's out What does it mean for the Packers? I want to be fair to Joe Barry. I want to be accurate uh, about this last season with Joe Barry at the helm of the Packers defense. Three minutes and we're back on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Appreciate you listening. So much to talk about tonight. Bucks have found a new head coach. Packers are going to need to find a new defensive coordinator. The Badgers played one of the most fun college basketball games last night. I've watched in a while. Uh, Oh, yeah. And the Brewers signed Reese Hoskins, who's the best available pure first baseman. You could argue Cody Bellinger, but he's more of an outfielder. Um, they got exactly the player that you would have wanted and they didn't nickel and dime this one. Like they're not rolling into to opening day with some Korean player you've never heard of. Although to be fair to Eric Thames, Eric Thames is very good. They're not nickel and diming you with Jake Bowers. This is a, a purebred bona fide first baseman that they brought in. So that's really exciting too. started the show by just kind of putting some finishing touches on our Adrian Griffin conversation. I want to talk about Joe Barry getting fired. Uh, I was in Woodman's this morning by the yogurt when I saw the Joe Barry news. I said, I caramba. No, I no, I didn't. But I, I, holy smokes, I was looking at my phone. I don't think Joe Barry is the best defensive coordinator in football. Don't get me wrong. He is a, a defensive coordinator that calls a defense with plenty of warts, right? But the way that fans are, are celebrating and dancing on his grave just a little bit, it doesn't sit totally right with me. I, I think change is good. And I think this defense, I think this team does need a new voice. Um, they need a little bit of a nastier culture, uh, a little bit of an edge. The offense found it this year, by the way. I, I think the Packers offense in 2023, 2024, at least by the end, had some nasty, had an edge. The way Malik Heath and Christian Watson and Dontavian Wicks getting on the outside and throwing blocks around Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave. This is a physical offense that looked to impose its will. Defense doesn't really have that culture. They haven't. Well, I, I mean, what, since 2010, 2014? 
Green Bay is not known for its rough and tumble physical defenses. Okay. And I would like to see that change. So I think change is a good thing in this instance. But I, what I will not do and what I will not abide by on this show is people claiming that Joe Barry was an anchor around the neck of this team in 2023-2024. I just don't think that was the case. They weren't losing game after game after game this year because their defense wasn't holding up their end of the bargain. Right? People talk about Joe Barry's defense like they were giving up 40 points per game this season. And I know, points per game, it's a little bit of an old-fashioned metric. It's not exactly um, as simple as how many points did you give up to the crummy Broncos or how many points did you give up to Desmond Ritter. I, I know I, I want to look a little bit deeper than points per game when we're evaluating Joe Barry and his defense over a multi-year sample. But if you just look at this season, like really what happened if we're really being accurate is they had a brutal nine quarter stretch, the end of the game against the giants, the fourth quarter against Tommy DeVito into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game and into the Carolina Panthers game. Those nine quarters were really, really bad. That was a bad stretch. But as I've said multiple times, all defenses have bad games. You cannot find me. Even the best defense in football will have a bad week. Even the best defensive coordinator in football will have a bad week. Look at what happened to Jonathan Gannon and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Or the Chiefs, who actually have a pretty good defense. They got a pretty sharp defensive coordinator, Spags. He couldn't get a stop in the Super Bowl. Eagles couldn't get a stop in the Super Bowl. Jim Schwartz, who coached and coordinated a historically great Cleveland Browns defense. I guess it's, to be correct, it's an historically great, which still doesn't make sense to me, but that is grammatically correct. Jim Schwartz coordinated an historically. <laughs> uh, I wish I wouldn't have stopped my... I wish I wouldn't have disrupted the show for that, but that is true, an historic. That is, for some reason, the way that's supposed to be said. Uh, Jim Schwartz in Cleveland. A historically great defense. Round one in the playoffs against C.J. Stroud, they stunk. They couldn't get a stop. Dan Quinn, Cowboys in the playoffs, couldn't get a stop. So even the best defenses with great personnel and respected coordinators, they will have a bad week. They will have a bad stretch because that's the nature of the sport. Everything is geared towards the offense and the offense succeeding. So Joe Barry's defense is not unique in having a rough patch. They got through their rough patch. They bounced back. They were really good against the Vikings, really good against the Bears, really good against the Cowboys. And I think if we're being fair, they were good enough against the Niners for the Packers to win that game. The offense got the ball three times with a chance to get a win. They got the ball twice with a chance to break it open and go up two scores. And then they got the ball at the very end with over a minute and three timeouts. All they needed was a field goal to tie, a touchdown to win. Couldn't do it. And that's fine. It's a young offense. And that's a, that's a brutal matchup on the road. I thought they acquitted themselves very nicely. But let's not revise history and say Joe Barry's defense blew it against the Niners because I don't think that's fair or accurate at all. Now, I also want to add into this discussion that Matt LaFleur took a lot more active role in the defense the last couple of weeks. And I have that source. Like, I have talked to multiple Packers reporters, not just Mike Clemens, but others who said, oh, yeah, Matt LaFleur definitely chimed in and helped out defensively the last couple of weeks. So you have to factor that in as well. But I just, you know, as we react to the news of Joe Barry being fired today, the Packers were in just about every game this year. Now, the early Detroit game on Thursday night, that was tough, but the offense was just as bad as the defense in that game. The young Packers were not ready on that night to compete and contend with the Lions, okay? So so you can find me games where the defense didn't do good enough. In all those games, the offense didn't do enough either. And then in their toughest losses of the year, both to the the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Denver Broncos. The defense, I think, held both of those teams under 20 or right around 20. Those were winnable games. The offense was the issue. 
So, yeah, I, I know we're excited for something new, and I think it's time for something new, but I actually think Joe's, Joe Barry's defense got it going at the end of the year, and it was a big part of the run they went on. I don't want to forget about that. I, I don't want to miss out on that. Uh, and here I am sounding like Vagabond John. can't believe the, the show's gone this far. Again, I, I'd always like to think that I've been nothing but fair. Right? And I think a lot of the year, Joe Barry deserved to be criticized for for some things, not for others. And then being fair today is pointing out that, you know, guys, Joe Barry's defense, they were giving up 40 every week this year. Okay? They were in just about every game, and their offense had a chance to win just about every game, maybe save for the Tampa game. And the very end against the Giants, the fourth quarter against the Giants, they had a rough patch late in the year, as I said. Even the best defenses in football and the best coordinators in football have bad stretches. Let's take a five-minute break. Perry Goldstein, Packs What She Said podcast, Pack-A-Day podcast, contributor with our friend Andy Herman, who, by the way, will be on with Bill Michaels tomorrow. Perry Goldstein going to join us next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Talking today about coaching. Joe Barry out. Adrian Griffin out. Doc Rivers is in, though. We don't know who's going to replace Joe Barry. My money is on someone that none of us have ever heard of. Uh, unless you're, like, hardcore, you're really into it. I know everyone's like, oh, Mike Vrabel, Ejiro Avero. It's probably Wink Martindale. It's probably going to be, like, Doug Smith. Be like, who? <laughs> That's always how these things work. In the draft, and coaching, so we always think we got a list, and then it's who? Her? <laughs> Her? She's really funny. Yeah. Let's hope so. Uh, Arrested Development. Here's Perry Goldstein. Packs What She Said podcast, Pack-A-Day podcast. Talked to her about an hour ago before the show started. I wanted to reflect on the Packers season and talk about what comes next, including now a new defensive coordinator. Got to find one. Here's my conversation with Perry. Enjoy. Perry Goldstein is here. Packs What She Said podcast. I love you on Pack-A-Day as well with Andy. You're you're uh, always after games, especially. You guys do an outstanding job reacting together. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Sometimes it's hard to be objective right after a game, and I mean right after a game. So that's nice to hear because you try to rein in the emotions post-game. Sometimes I just need to let my brain sit for a little while before I actually start deciding anything about the game that I just watched. Uh, so I can, that's why I don't think I do a good post game. So you and Andy, uh, continue to kill it together when you guys team up. I want to start. I know Joe Barry got fired today. I want to start by like, just talking about the end of the year. I'm just so impressed that Matt LaFleur took this team from three and six. I mean, they look like one of the worst teams in football. Like it was bad. It wasn't an exciting three and six. He took them from that point to taking this team to Dallas and San Francisco and everybody on the roster expected to win, which is wild. And it's a bummer that it came to an end, but what a turnaround. Like, we just need to celebrate that before we talk about Joe Barry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this was two different seasons, I think, in one, right? The first half versus the second half. And I know I got killed for this in October, but I remember towards the end of October saying, you know, they're not winning and it's really hard to score points right now, but you can tell that the individual pieces are really exciting. Right. You can tell that Luke Musgrave is really exciting. You can tell that Jaden Reed is really exciting. And if they could just find a way to put it all together, that this team could really, really show up. And I, in my head, was like, it'll be a, that'll be a 2024 thing. 
This is just going to be a rough ride. And it really is a kudos to Matt LaFleur for having that turnaround happen in season. And I maybe give a little bit of that to Jordan Love, right? Because an elevation of quarterback play probably elevates the rest of the room as well. And there's probably a little bit of vice versa. Guys start running right routes and, you know, he hits them in stride, things like that. But man, this, what this team did over the course of the second half of the season and then into the postseason, I don't know if I we've seen a team do that in recent memory. You know, and it's funny because everyone on Saturday night and, and Sunday and Monday, you know, we're all frustrated. Just like, how did we not have a good kicker? Or like that safety position is just terrible. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Matt LaFleur made his GM look bad because when Brian Gutekinds was making some of these decisions, he's like, well, we're going to ride with a rookie and it'll be fine because we're not a kicker away from you know, being in the Super Bowl. We're not a safety away. Like, I'll prioritize other things. We can trade Rasul Douglas because he's expendable and the team is really bad. And then Matt LaFleur and this team go on a run, and Goody seems like a bozo for some of these shortcomings when, like, I don't really blame him for any of the decisions he made, kicker, safety. Like, this team wasn't going to be perfect, but his own team, his own head coach, made him look bad. I don't think Goody looks bad at all. I think Goody's in the running for exec of the year with, right now. With some, <laughs> I guess. I guess in the immediate aftermath of Saturday night, with some, he looked bad. I would agree because he couldn't fix everything this year. And I've talked about on my show with, with our Packers guy, Mike Clemens, we were going to prioritize wide receiver, tight end, O-line. The things directly related to Jordan Love in his first year were the priority. And Goody nailed that part of the team. Yeah, well, you can't, I mean, again, we went into the season being like, well, this is kind of a rebuild season. Mm -hmm. So in a rebuild season, you focus on like the high priority, like hot topic positions, right? Which is exactly what he did. You just listed them. And we knew what the issue areas were. We knew safety. We knew, you know, I think inside linebacker was maybe a question mark. Like, is Devondre Campbell going to be last season or is Devondre Campbell going to be all pro Devondre Campbell? We kind of have that answer now. Kicker is they drafted a rookie. Let's see what his deal is. So we still have some question marks, and now he has another offseason to fill in those holes. But the good news is that all the important positions, all those questions are answered. So, like, well done, Brian, because now window's wide open, and arguably he doesn't really have all that much to fix anymore. No. Those are easy ones to plug some holes in. Yeah, you draft players for your defensive backfield for safety and for corner, and you, and you kind of build that up, but... You know, we thought maybe they'd need a left tackle. If they want to roll with Rasheed Walker, I think they absolutely can, right? I think they're set with what we saw from Brooks and and Colby Woolen at the end. It's like, oh, okay, so they might be set at D-line, too. They don't have a huge hole anywhere other than maybe safety, but, you know, that's not a a position that needs, like, a top-five pick to address. So I completely agree. You know, you talked about Goody, you know, drafting the things around Jordan Love and, and setting him up in year one. You know, Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave, great weapons to throw to, but towards the end of the year, you know, I also started to contextualize those two guys as, oh, these two guys are a means for Matt LaFleur to run what he wants to run. Like, it was really cool seeing Goody's personnel meet LaFleur's vision, and then it all met and came together with Jordan Love's execution. The two tight end sets, neutral down and distances under center, scheming up things for Aaron Jones and these wide receivers. It was really cool to see that all come together because of two tight ends, one from Timberlake, South Dakota. Like that's what they were missing at rules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is what Matt has always wanted to call and he will go to the ends of the earth denying that, you know, at which I get why he, he will, but we're seeing 
his vision come to life on the field. And again, I'm going to give credit to the quarterback because you need a quarterback to execute it at the highest level. I, I think there's complexity to it that not every quarterback can do, but you said it, you're seeing a ton of under center. I think like 60% of snaps were under center this season, way more than we ever saw with 12, <laughs> a ton of motion, a ton of two tight, two tight end sense. And again, you're getting a lot of, like explosive talent at those positions too. So it wasn't working at the beginning of the season because you're getting Tucker Craft missing on some of those blocks and now he's not. And, you know, I'm excited to see what these guys look like for full stretches when they're healthy because we got really like short glimpses of a, a game or two when you actually get both those guys on the field together and, and Aaron Jones and Christian Watson and all the speed that this team now has um, so it's going to be cool to see in 2024 what that looks like all meshed together for stretches at a time, we hope. Um, but Matt was really in his bag this season, and and he's going to get to build off of that now too because you're going into 2024 now kind of the team to beat, right? They, they put out a lot out there. They put a lot on tape, and now teams are going to be scheming up against them. How do we stop? the Packers so he's going to have to now go back and say all right we're going to have to work off of what we've already put out there and it's something that's been really good at right that illusion of complexity so it's just going to be really fun he's a really really creative um, really creative offensive minded coach and I have full confidence that he's going to pull some fun stuff out of the bag next season you you mentioned they're one of the teams to beat next year they have expectations that's a really good place to be when you're retaining or upgrading you hope at coordinator and you're not losing guys and you're not even going to be playing a first place schedule because they were a wild card team this year so they they get added expectations next year but they're still best equipped just about as well equipped as you can be to, to deal with that whereas you know you have a great season you lose some coordinators now you're playing harder teams won't really be the case for the Packers. One more thing about Matt LaFleur. <laughs> you mentioned scheme, and he's great with scheme. I, I don't think we've ever questioned that for the most part. You know, oftentimes we split coaches into you know, offensive gurus, and then they're culture guys, right, like CEO head coaches. And Matt LaFleur has always been thought of as the former a lot, right? I don't know that he's got a lot of credit for building a culture, but I tell you what, Perry, Perry Goldstein, I I listened to those those pressers on on Monday, John Runyon Jr. by his locker and all these guys talking about how much it meant to be a Packer this year and how much they love Green Bay. Matt LaFleur gets credit for that. Like he built a culture and an, and an environment where guys loved being a part of this organization this year. And he gets a ton of credit for that. Should I whip out a take that I haven't yes. spoken on yet? Yes. Um, I think this is the first season we're actually getting Matt as a leader, like as a full, full sized seeing Matt be the leader that he get has always wanted to be sure because, and, and it's not, this is not an anti Aaron Rodgers take by any means. Like 12 is a very specific kind of leader. When you've been at his position for so long, you get to be a leader of men and he brought that level, you know, he elevates a locker room when you're the same age, essentially as your coach, it changes the dynamic. It changes the locker room. And there was a heavy collaboration as well that happened with the offensive side of the ball. And I, I think there was a little bit, this is total speculation on my part, but I can imagine there was a level of like diminishment towards Matt LaFleur's leadership 
just like by 12 being who he is and that, you know, equilibrium yeah. of yeah. you know collaboration there in that room. So when you take that away, who fills that void, right? Especially on a really young team, like who fills the void where 12 was a little bit of Jordan, right? Because the quarterback always will, but it's going to be Matt. Mm -hmm. And Matt, you got to see his personality come out in those post-game pressers you've never seen before. And you got to have him step into that full 100% leadership role over, you know, the entire team, especially the offensive side of the ball this season. And I really think he got to grow as a head coach and you saw it in the way the guys rallied around him on that side of the ball. And I think across the board, but especially on that side of the ball, well, and it showed. And that's a cool take too, because a lot of people have said really from the beginning that you were finally going to see the Matt LaFleur offense. And what you're saying is, no, we're just going to see Matt LaFleur more in general, all parts of LaFleur, all parts of, of what makes a football coach. Uh, yes. And I, I think it helps. He's he's dealing with the guys, especially on offense, who are doing this for the first time. So he's now the experienced one in the room relative to to the decision or the big playmakers on offense around him. So that's certainly it's just a it's a product of age. Anytime Aaron Rodgers comes up this year, for the most part, I'm like, look, it's not a criticism. He was almost 40. He had won multiple MVPs. He'd won a Super Bowl. Like that's that just because he's, you know, that much older than guys around him. That's not his fault. That's just a product of yeah. of where Rodgers was. In his career and he had that kind of hybrid coach vibe to him mm -hmm. too right he talked the guys up he and and there was something really special about that like you don't get that with every quarterback again like this is not a an anti rogers thing like there's something really awesome and i think he brings a lot of great stuff because of his age because he's been around the league a lot but also i think when you have a young coach when you bring a young coach in who can you know meet your players where they're at in a certain way it it does take away from that relationship a little bit and you got to see just matt and his players without any of the rest of it around this it, season it was really fun I, I think he needed to almost learn how to coach again this was a, a very different team so he he had been a head coach for what three four years i guess with rogers so this was his fifth year as a head coach but really his first year when you consider how different this team, he had to learn how to do it all over again. And I remember in the middle of the year, he made a comment in a, in a post-game presser. It's like, look, we couldn't even get into our stuff. All the things that we practiced and repped all week, we couldn't get to it. And I think a light went off in Matt's head at some point this season. Like, okay, if I want my team to do something, I very intentionally and specifically need to game plan. I can't assume that anything is going to go right. I, I need to be a lot more active and intentional about what I'm scheming and what I'm emphasizing. And I think, he 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 stopped assuming the team was just going to start the game good. And he's like, oh, the new game plan has to be we start the game good. And that was one of the adjustments, I think, partway through the year. I do want to ask you about Joe Barry before we go. Um, we kind of figured this would probably happen. I guess maybe not 100%, but um, I'll defend him to a, to a level because the way people talk about him this year is it's like he was giving up 40 a week. And that wasn't the case. They had a really bad, like ultimately like nine quarters. The end of the Giants game the game against the Bucks, and then the game against Carolina. But the rest of the year, I'd say the offense had a reasonable shot to win every single game. It's not like they were giving up 40, but I think a new voice, a new scheme to go along with a new offense and, and really a new generation of players makes a lot of sense. Where do you stand? What would you say? What's your Joe Barry take? 
It's the right move because you're assessing a body of work over three years, not just this season. And there's a couple of things. I think that's one. The second is what does player development look like? And I don't particularly think player development under Barry has been great. There's a lot of talent and you think, well, why have they not been playing up to what you think on paper the talent should be playing up to? Sure. And for me, that sure. goes back to coach, also position coaches, like someone new is going to come in. I think they're probably going to wipe the slate clean. And then third is this offense has proven that they are championship caliber, right? Like they were a hair's breath away from, you know, the NFC championship game in there, what should have been rebuild year. So they are looking at Super Bowl aspirations is this Joe Barry defense a Super Bowl caliber defense? And I think anyone can answer you unequivocally, no, no. If I'm going to the Super Bowl this year, is this defense stopping the Ravens? Sure. Or the Chiefs? Oh, they did stop the Chiefs. So I don't See, know. That's, the answer yet? That's the, that's the <laughs> weird thing is I was I would argue with <laughs> listeners and callers all year. Like they're only they're only giving up so many points per game, and I said all year, but yeah, but they're not playing the Niners and the Cowboys, and then they played the Niners and the Cowboys, and they actually were okay. I know until the My end. My point the stands though, which is that like I I think you have done as good you have done such an amazing overhaul of the offensive side of the ball to get that side of the ball in such a place where you can make a you can make a Super Bowl push next season. Get the defense there too, and that to me is new coordinator new position coaches infuse it with some more playmakers some talent and you can make a run but joe barry's time is up 30 seconds do you have a preferred candidate as of today you don't need to i don't think i do avero okay yeah all right if if carolina can let him go i that would be awesome. I saw the the uh, the Dolphins let Vic Fangio go because he wants to be closer to his family, and they're in Pennsylvania. So now he's just going to work for the Eagles. And I'm like, what? Are there any really good defensive coordinators that just move their family to Wisconsin and ask their team to to relocate on that ground? It was very weird, the Vic Fangio thing. Um, I don't know. Well, they did have a monumental collapse. They so did. So that feels like a cop out. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I would tend to agree. Uh, we'll see who they hire. I, my money always on these coaching hires is someone you've never heard of and are not expecting. That's normally that's normally what happens. That's what happened with Joe Barry. That's kind of what happened with Matt LaFleur, too. So yeah. my money would be on that. I appreciate you, Perry. It's a very busy week. Sports, real world. Thank you for the time. I appreciate you always. Of course. Anytime. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate Perry Goldstein's time. Her podcast is very good. Her and Maggie do great work, and she does great work anytime she's on with Andy. I've become a big pack-a-day person this year. I only have so much time to listen because you know, I get to listen to Bill for four hours, and I do this show. I, you know, I We produce, we create enough content. I can only consume so much other content. Perry and Andy both uh, do a really good job. Andy will be on with Bill Tomorrow, 1130, he'll join the Bill Michaels show. Andy Herman, always worth a listen. All right, we can sneak a call in here before the top of the hour. 608-321-1670, Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? Hello, hello, hello. You on speaker? Oh, I, hey, it's Rick. 
Hey, Rick. I just had one quick question. I know you're running the break at yeah. five. What does Matt's brother coach? Uh, you Like, what side of the ball? He's an offensive guy. Mike LaFleur, where was he last? He got fired from the Jets. He was the offensive coordinator, I think, before uh, Hackett. Let me make sure. Well, it's not that big a deal. I was just, <laughs> if he would have been defensive, I was just curious. If, I just feel like he has somebody in mind. It just seemed like it was so quick for uh, Barry to to go like that after a winning season. I thought maybe they really had somebody in mind already. Well, I mean, they might. I mean, it'll take longer. Joe Barry was fired this morning. So even if they have someone very specific in mind, it might take a couple of days. Um, Michael Dennis Lafleur is an American football coach who is the offensive coordinator for the Rams. So he's with McVay, kind of staying in the family, so to speak. All right. So it won't be him then. Probably not. Unless he wants to change vocations. He wants to convert to defense. I, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't want to hire my brother because then what if I need to fire my brother? That that would be sticky. I would like to avoid that if I was Matt Lafleur. I don't know. I wouldn't have a problem doing it if he wasn't pulling his weight. I think <laughs> you wouldn't have a problem firing your own brother. No problem at all. Well, I thought that uh, I thought that him and Barry were buds. They if are good buddies, I, or if you're family, I don't know. I can't imagine it would be easy either way. So. No, you're, you're probably right. Firing anybody, right? Rock and Rick, I got to run. It was nice to hear from you. It's been too I, long. Yeah, you too, bud. Hey, I'm on wait a lot here. You're too popular. I, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Rock and Rick, have an awesome night. Um, Rick would fire his brother. No problem with it. That's good to. That's good to know. Um, these guys all know each other. I mean. You know, people say, well, I don't just want Matt LaFleur to hire his friends. Well, he kind of has to know the people. You're convincing someone to come work for you. So you need to have a relationship with these people if you're hiring them one way or another. Brother or friend, as it seems, him and Barry get along very well. Said that Joe Barry is one of the best men he's ever had the privilege of working with. So they have a relationship on some level. Hour 2, Wisco Sports Show. Next. We fully believed and fully expected to win this game and give San Francisco credit. But I, I felt like we had plenty of opportunities to kind of put the game out of reach. Didn't do enough. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. to take some calls appreciate rock and rick uh i have the most time aware callers i swear uh, how many phone calls on the show say hey i know you got a lot of calls to get to hey i know you're running up against the break <laughs> like i don't need a producer i have all of you guys i couldn't miss a break if i tried every caller's like hey, i know we're up against it we're we're borderline woefully late i want to get back to the phones here in two three minutes top so if you're hanging out there i promise i'll get to you we got loaded phone lines jake fisher yahoo sports some really good reporting on what comes next for the Milwaukee Bucks earlier today. He's going to be here at 5.30. The Bill Michaels huddle coming up at 6 o'clock. Some more discussion on Joe Barry and what comes next. We'll hear from Mike Clemens. I do want to shout out the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team. They won an awesome win in Minnesota last night. Minnesota hit, what was it, their first six three-point attempts of the second half. Wisconsin was up 10 at half, and then Minnesota came out and just was a blowtorch. For the final 20 minutes, Wisconsin survived, and the last two minutes was oh, it was electric. A lesson in making your free throws, no doubt. I believe Minnesota finished last night. I wrote it down. Give me one sec to make sure I have it. 
100% correct. Minnesota as a team last night shot 5 of 13 from the line and lost by 2. <laughs> what an embarrassment to the Big Ten. Let's grow up. Make our free throws. Tyler Wall is hitting clutch free throws. Just, just terrible for a Big Ten team to shoot that poorly. My favorite part of the game was watching Chucky Hepburn and Max Klesmit defend on those final couple of possessions. And it's a real privilege when the Buc- or the Badgers, not the Bucks, the Badgers are up four, five, six points in the final two minutes, and Klesmit and Hepburn can just dig in. And they throw their hands around. I mean, no lazy passes, no lazy dribbling, no bad. You can't get away with anything against those two defending the backcourt, especially when they're playing with a lead so they can be a little bit confident. They can cherry pick a little bit, go for steals a little bit. It's the basketball equivalent to a football team having a lead and pinning their ears back, rushing the quarterback like that. It's so fun to watch Klesmet and Hepburn just clamp in those final two minutes. And they did a great job against Minnesota last night. That was a really, really fun game. Wish we could talk about it more tonight, but we got bigger fish to fry. Joe Barry's been fired. The Bucks have a brand new head coach. And I want to talk about all this stuff with you guys. 608-321-1670. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? Hey, Grant. Clem Head Mike from Chippewa. Clem Head Mike from Chippewa. Were you happy? Were you celebrating when Joe Barry was fired this morning? Uh, no, I'm kind of with you. I, I'm on the fence with that. But I think anytime you, something like this happens, the fans are happy. Um, there's a new, there'll be a new enthusiasm and a new outlook. So I, I think it'll be good for the Packers. Um, yeah, I... I think the, making all the fans happy will be one thing. And like bringing in some vitality. I think uh, Matt can bring in someone that's a little, maybe a little younger. Maybe he's have a little bit more authority, you know, over him. Um, it's hard to, you know, I know from experience, it's hard to boss around somebody that's twice as old as you are, you know, a lot older than you and been around the league for a long time. So I think it was, I think it would be a welcome change. But uh, They also fired, by the way, also fired their strength and conditioning coach today, Chris Gizzy. So Matt LaFleur, I think, recognizing this offseason is maybe an opportunity to make some changes that he'd been thinking about. It's like, well, the team's yeah. turning over. It's a younger team. We're starting a new era. Might as well make some changes. Uh, this well, is probably um, the time. I'm, I'm going to go apply for the job. No, just kidding. There, there you um, go. <laughs> no, um, a couple of things. I think I heard Vagabond John call in the Bill Michael show today. He did. Um, uh-huh. He did. Yeah, that was him. Well, you 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 probably heard, you probably screened the call. Oh, yeah, I was going to say I, I was the one who put him on the air. John and Madison, <laughs> his formal name from ten to two. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know he didn't say Vagamon. And then uh, somebody on the live stream posted uh, that they really liked your voice. I like Grant's voice, so you got that going for you. Well, screw um, screw the content of what I was saying. My voice is just pleasing. Well, I'll take compliments yeah. <laughs> when I can get them. That's fine. That's fine. I'll take yeah. it. I actually want to talk about the Doc Rivers thing. Yeah. Um, Doc Rivers is a head coach in the NBA since you were two, and he won one championship with the Celtics. They had Allen, Pierce, and uh, Garnett, the, the superstar team. He could, you and I, you, you know more about the NBA than me. You could have been the coach. You could have said, hey, guys, just go out there and play basketball. Okay, coach. Um, so I hope nobody's getting excited about this Doc Rivers hire. I, I hope they don't spend a lot of money for him because I think there's about a dozen people. I could do a better job. Seriously, I don't think there's anything to write home about. Well, well, we don't write anymore. We text. But. I, I think the first thing you said is he's been a coach in the NBA since I've been two, right? So he's a professional yeah. and he knows how to structure everything. And I think that was a little bit of the issue with Adrian Griffin is night to night, guys didn't really know what the deal was. 
Uh, and we're going to talk about this with Jake Fisher coming up, but an NBA head coach needs to balance, you know, the boring stuff. Night to night, we need to have our fundamentals, and we need to stick to this and that because that's what gets us through the regular season. But a head coach also has to be flexible and experimental, and, and a head coach needs to kind of find that balance. I don't know that Doc Rivers is going to be the best coach in the playoffs. I do know that he's a professional and will be a lot better than Adrian Griffin. And you're hiring a coach in the middle of the season, so they'll have so many options, Clemhead Mike. That's the problem. Yeah, that's, that's true. You don't have a lot of options. Nobody wants to go to a, a coaching gig knowing that they might just run out the rest of the season and then be gone, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, so those, those are some of the things I just had for you. So I'll, I'll let you go. I know your phone bank is is uh, jammed. So uh, Loaded. Nice talk to you. Yeah, you too, Clemhead. Have a good night. Listen up in Chippewa Falls, Sports Talk 105.1. Yeah, I, I don't think anything is unfair. You just said, Clemhead. But this is the price that the Bucks pay for hiring a head coach and firing them f- 43 games in. You know, is n- now you either go with an interim, Joe Prunny, and that's not going to cut the mustard. This is a championship or bust team. With respect to Joe Prunty uh, and his stewardship of the team back in 2017, 2018, like, you can't waste a year where Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo are on your team. Like, Doc Rivers is is the best option, probably. And he's a professional. He's a pro. I don't know that he's going to be the best coach in any given playoff series. But Doc Rivers won with a super team in 2008. This Bucks team is a super team. Came together a little bit differently than the Celtics team did. But it's a super team. So I think those are the reasons that you can kind of talk yourself into Doc Rivers and, and hope for the best. I think they had a 0% chance to win the title with Adrian Griffin this year. I don't know what the chance is with Doc Rivers, but I know that it's higher. I know it's not zero. Put it that way. 608-321-1670. Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? Denny from Holman. Denny from Holman. Denny, I almost tweeted earlier today that we probably weren't going to have as much time to take calls tonight. And then I stopped because I'm like, Denny's not on Twitter. And really, this message needs to go to Denny. So I- I'm glad you were able oh. to get in here even in the second hour of the show. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Of course. So I think... Rivers is a good hire. I don't think the Bucks are going in the right direction. I think he can get them to play some defense. Um, I totally agree with what you said. I think that, uh, and I just wanted to comment too on the Packers, on the loss and stuff. You know, I'm almost three times your age, uh, Grant, and I saw the fourth and twenty-six. I saw the um, the um, Mm-hmm. the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, yeah. you know, beat my Packers. And, I mean, it's like, you know, you really got to cherish when we got this far because it's not a given for next year that we're going to do the same thing and even make it into the playoffs or even, you know, win the division, you know. And that's why I think it's really, really important when we did so good this year to emphasize on it and to enjoy it because, you know, Detroit fans, I heard them on, on national radio, and they're like, they're already in the Super Bowl and winning it. Yeah. And they're going to be really, really disappointed if the 49ers come and just kill them, you know? Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think managing expectations going into this offseason is important, Danny, and I think the messaging from LaFleur on Monday was good. It's like, we don't just get to show up week one next year and be the same team. Like, you need to continue right. to get better. You need to improve. And hopefully this team goes into the offseason thinking, oh, I got a taste of that. I, I want that again. I want to do that every year, and I'm going to work to make sure that happens instead of, wow, this is easy. We showed up year one. Right. We're, in the, you know, we're almost in the championship game. It, it needs to be the former, not, not the latter. 
And, you know, Grant, out of everybody that I heard national, which I thought Fox did a poor, poor job on covering the Packers the last two games, they weren't, you could tell they weren't even for them. Gronk said, you got to play 60 minutes. You can't play 58 and win. Yeah. And I think, I think the defense, even my wife Sandra said, the defense is like so tired. And, and they were the last two minutes. You could just see it. You know, yeah. and Bill said too, it wasn't a matter of where. It's a matter of when the Packers are going to give that last touchdown up. Yeah, and that's that's what Ryan Wood said as well. Denny, I appreciate you. Glad we could get you in. We're a little pressed for time today because we just have two. We never have two guests on this show. We're not. We're not. When experts don't join the show. That's not normally what we do, but it's a big day. So I wanted to get some authoritative voices. Yeah, Denny, I love what you said about the off season. I, I think the attitude going into this off season, the messaging is important and. What I heard from Matt LaFleur and what I heard from players makes me feel really good. And I talked about this with Perry. I also think the Packers are in a good spot because they popped this year and they really started to figure out and they went on a little run and they got a taste of the postseason and they're going into next year now with real expectations and and, and real excitement. But they're not losing any coordinators. You think they're upgrading maybe a defensive coordinator. They're not losing like the play caller, this guy, they're not losing anyone to a promotion elsewhere. And they don't even have to play a first place schedule next year because they didn't even win the division. So while the expectation is going to go up and they'll probably play some more primetime games, the schedule isn't going to get significantly harder. And they're not without one of their top uh, decision makers or play callers from a year ago, which is rare. The Lions are probably going to lose their play caller this year. Next year, they're going to use a first place schedule because they won the North for the first time in a million years. So it gets harder. It's not going to get as harder, as much hard. It's not, you know what I mean, for the Packers next year. That's important. 608 321 1670. Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? Hello, hello, hello. Going once, going twice. All right. Let's go back to line one. I'm just making the rounds through the phone lines. Wisco Sports Show, who's this? Grant, it's Q in Milwaukee. Q, what do you make of all this Adrian Griffin? I was wondering if we'd hear from you. Maybe you tried yesterday, and we just had too many people trying to get through, but I was hoping we'd hear from you on this Bucks coaching yeah. decision. So um, before we go there, great interview with Perry. Okay. I've been very hard on the floor, and I liked her take on him growing as a leader. I think the firing today is not something he would have done a year ago. Like, clearly he didn't fire him last year. So um, I, I, I hope she's right in that he does a, a confident hire that somebody can really help and be the best person for the job. Um, so on the Doc Rivers stuff, I was shocked that they fired Griff. I've obviously been a, a Bucks backer and a, a Griff supporter. Um I'm excited that they pulled the trigger. I'd rather find out now instead of that he was the wrong candidate for the job when they hired him in June than finding out in May when the playoffs start. Um, as far as the timing goes, I feel like this is a desperation move. I'm a little concerned that it's foreshadowing that we're not getting the the bite line that we're looking for to uh, fix the roster with during the trade deadline. Um, I don't think if they thought they could make a material move at the deadline that they would have made this huge coaching move because I, I don't know where you stand on this, but like what what do you place the the lack of progress for the team? Is it on coaching or is it on the roster? Like what's your percentage breakdown on that? I don't think their roster is perfect, but it's better than this. You know, I like th their defense is not going to be elite, but it's right now it's not functioning. Like guys don't know where they're supposed to be 
and how they're supposed to rotate night in and night out. That's more the problem. And I, I think they're going to make moves. It's not going to be anything seismic, but I think they're going to look with Pat Connaughton and campaign and that second rounder from Portland. Like, I think they're going to look for someone, PJ Tucker, Tybal, but Tybal's interesting because he's got a backstory with Doc Rivers now, so you got to factor that in. I, I think they're also going to make a move, but if Adrian Griffin could have done more with this, he would have, right? Like, I think it was coaching, and they can tweak the roster, but mostly coaching. They're better than this. Yeah, I guess I would say it was at least 60-40 roster. I think really? that if Adrian, Griff- if Adrian Griffin had the bench, which was defensive focus that we had last year, I think he would have had a much better start. Um, so, and um, But that being said, like him or hate him, Doc Rivers is the best or like has the best resume that the for a coach that the Bucks have ever had. Like yeah. we've never hired somebody that's won the finals or taken a team to the finals twice. And like saying that it was a super team that, that did it is not a good excuse because guess what? He's got another super team right now. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and this is his third super team because he was with the first iteration of Kawhi and Paul George in in LA. So like he's been around the block. All of the things that we didn't like about Griff, uh, Doc should quickly make things more streamlined and consistent. And he'll he'll squeeze as much much juice out of this roster as he can. Um, we have the hardest schedule in the for the rest of the year. Like the Bucks have the mm-hmm. the most difficult schedule. And I'm glad that they didn't wait another few weeks to make this move when. Maybe we're we're chasing third or fourth place instead of right now. Like we still got a shot at the number one seed, and uh, hopefully, hopefully Dame and Giannis and everybody galvanizes around Doc. Um, the last thing that I'll add mm-hmm. is um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, was yeah. it Bucks related? But it was it was Bucks related. But um, yeah, I I, I said. I said what I needed to say. Um, I just, say what you need I hope that, say. yeah, I, ho- I hope that everybody can kind of give the Bucks some grace here and lower their expectations just for the next month or two because it's going to be another transition. Like th- this is a whole lot of change happening at once. Um, so like it, like who knows what? I don't even know who's coaching tonight. Like Doc Rivers is our coach, but I'm guessing Joe. Joe Prunty is going to be on the bench. <laughs> so, the the apprentice will be coaching tonight. And I'm going to check because John Horst speaking to the media right now. I'm going to check that over this break to see what he's saying. But I don't probably probably not anything too crazy. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think, like you said, our chances of winning the finals this year went up today. And that's that's all we can ask for. Um, and, and oh, the thing I was going to say. There we go. The long term impact of adrian griffin was the Giannis extension and like we can't say that it was a successful hire because of that but i guarantee you when john horse sat down and like listed his goals for the season the number one goal was signing Giannis antetokounmpo to his extension and he did that in part like in part because of the dame trade but also because we gave Giannis that authority to to pick his coach and basically not play for nick nurse so to me like, that's what I'll be grateful for Adrian Griffin for. And that's important. And I'm, and I'm glad that you remembered Q. I was like, I, I think if we give him 60 seconds, it'll come to him. Thanks, Q. He listens in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, I got Giannis to resign. I, 
Giannis didn't handpick Adrian Griffin. He just really didn't want Nick Nurse. <laughs> that was that was as much that that was really the reality. So the Bucks were kind of hamstrung a little bit with with obviously who they could hire. They couldn't hire Nick Nurse. Um, man, I, I don't know how I feel about the Giannis part of this because I want Giannis to be happy. I want him here, but. <laughs> It's like, dude, okay, so you got the coach indirectly that you wanted, and now you're telling us that he should be fired less than 50 games in? Like, it's just, it's a mess. What have I been saying? 2024, the drum I keep beating. We need more organizational power. We need need less player empowerment, more organizational empowerment. You win more games, everything runs better. I I have to take a break. If we want to stay on schedule, get to our guest, Jake Jake Fisher, excuse me, Yahoo Sports at 530. So we're going to take a three-minute break. If you're on hold, stay there. I'll get to you right after this break. Three minutes, and we're back on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, Jake Fisher. Senior NBA writer Yahoo Sports going to join us in about 10 minutes. Had some really good reporting on what the Bucks might do next. Roster-wise, looking to shake things up. They're not done. They're just getting started. So that's what he reported. We'll talk to him in a little bit. We can talk about Joe Barry, Doc Rivers. I mean, Badgers basketball was a pretty sick win last night, okay? I know that's not as, as significant as imp- and important as Joe Barry and Doc Rivers, but it was... It was pretty awesome last night, wasn't it? That uh, ripped. That game kicked ass. Uh, also, the Brewers signed Reese Hoskins, which is pretty. They went out this offseason needing a first baseman, and they signed the best available first baseman as a free agent. Uh, they didn't finagle some poor, stupid GM into giving up a, a couple prospects. No, no, no. They just straight up laid the checkbook on the counter and paid for the guy. And they beat out the Cubs. They outbid the Cubs. I wonder... If the Cubs weren't involved, I wonder if Craig Council was still the manager of the Brewers. I wonder if they would have done that. Feels like this offseason maybe a little bit of a, well, we'll show you. And just a little bit of that in the air with the Brewers and some of the things maybe that they've done. The Reese Hoskins signing, mostly. I mean, this is just great. I can't, I can't wait for spring training. I can't wait for pitchers and catchers. Also got word today, spring training is a go for the second straight year for the Wisco Sports Show. So I'll... uh I'll give you dates and other information when I when I feel like it's fully ready to go. But uh, I feel confident enough after sending some emails and conducting some business today uh, that we are a go for a second year at spring training. And it's important for me to get down there. I like to see a team in its infancy. You know, it has nothing to do with it being warm and sunny in Arizona. I actually wish it was colder down there. I wish I wish it was more difficult. Uh, feels like a vacation. I don't want it to feel like a vacation. I'm working. I'm getting to know the team. I'm scouting. I'm giving information to you you guys that's what it's all about 608-321-1670 time for a couple calls before we get to our guest jake fisher wisco sports show who's this grant it is wednesday it is january 24th 2024 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and your wisconsin badgers are number one in the big Ten. how about that (laughs) last night ripped that game was awesome vagabond john and i know that's not what you want to talk about but we need to mention it because last night's game, well, I know they almost lost, but that was, oh, that was one of the best games of the year. You have Tyler Wall hitting threes. You have Tyler Wall finishing the game strong from the free throw line. 
Daddy Wall with that beard nicely lined up. I mean, we got to make that a thing. Get the shirts out now. Can't wait to go to the game Friday. But, did, did you see, by the way, Nolan Winter celebrating and, and giving a kiss to the crowd, his home crowd? I'm so in on Nolan Winter. He's him. I'll say it. I I hope the uh, Gopher fans were able to recover from that um, traumatic experience of seeing a player celebrate scoring in his uh, in his hometown. But obviously – here to talk as conductor of the Joe Berry hype train mm-hmm. and the Joe Berry fan club uh, here to let everybody know today, the fan club does not die. The fan club just has a renewed focus, right? Cause I mean, listening to the Perry Goldstein interview and the way you two were going back, just fantastically talking about Matt LaFleur in a romanticized way where it's just, Oh, you just, he, he's the first season where he gets to be a leader of men. And you look at, in the season, they had their, their highs, and, and, the, and then they had their lows, and, and they ended on highs. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, if you were to play back that interview and just sub out Joe Barry's name for Matt LaFleur's, like, you could pretty much run back the same interview, and none of it would necessarily be incorrect. Perry saying that Joe Barry coaching seventh-round picks in the playoffs against Dak Prescott and the dominant Cowboys offense in the secondary doesn't know how to develop talent. I just thought that was funny, and I think Packer fans have a really short memory because if you look at the three playoff games Matt LaFleur was involved in uh, prior to Joe Barry, right, it gets a hell of a lot worse yes. before it gets a lot better. And I know, Grant, you and I are on the same page there, right? Well, like, that's that's why feeling... I'm always confused is you you come in here, and I, I, for the most part, agree with you. I think you're reaching a little bit with the Matt LaFleur-Joe Barry comparison and – the interview back at 4.30 that we did with Perry. I, But for the most part, I, mostly, I agree with you. You let Perry say some things that I think you might disagree with deep down, and, and they let it slide, which I understand got to be respectful to guests. And, oh, yeah, Perry puts out great content, aggregates Packers Twitter, gets it to room temperature, and puts it back out. Uh, but wow. when you look at Matt LaFleur now, I, I think the 24th of January going forward, um, this is this was the fourth year in a row. I would say that the last game ended with the offense kind of sputtering out, right? So next year will be year five. You go back, you have the Buccaneers game where there's double interceptions, right? Aaron Rodgers has a chance to go down. Tom Brady's trying to give away the game. The offense can't put it over the hump. Mm-hmm. Go to the next year, obviously, you have the 49ers home debacle where we can't put up more than 10 points with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Correct. Then you get to you're going against the Lions, uh, the third worst defense in the NFL um, at home, all you got to do is win and you can't put up more than 20. And then you get to this year where, you know, like you said, the offense had plenty of times to really put that game away. So Matt LaFleur in his own, right? How can we treat him differently than how, you know, Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys are treated? Well, much younger team. Much, much, much younger team. Way less experience. Less don't don't do this expected. thing where you're about to list all the players and how old they are. I don't I don't have no, I don't no, have no. This we don't have time tonight. for that. Well that we don't too. have time for that. But what I will say is Matt LaFleur has ended in disappointing fashion four years in a row. Next year will be the fifth. I had a great tweet from I think May take that and he goes, What? Do you think the Packers should have held on to Dom Capers too? I'm like, No. But two points. Did firing Dom Capers fix the Packers' playoff defense woes? <laughs> That's a resounding no. And what happened shortly after they fired Dom Capers? They realized the head coach wasn't the right guy, and we let him go too. So I, as the Joe Brady fan club, am declaring today, I believe this is me forecasting the future, not necessarily commenting on the past. 
But I believe today, when we look back in three or four years and Matt LaFleur is gone, I think we're going to look back and be like, did he make the right move in getting rid of the defensive coordinator that gave up 15 points per game against the 49ers in two playoff appearances and went 0-2? So, so that is the renewed focus, Okay, and that's where we're at. I, I think I think part of this, and, and back on John, I got to run. I got to get to a guest. Appreciate you as always. Your commentary spectacular. I, I'm sometimes I wonder with you, Vagabond John. I do. I, I think your heart's in a good place, and you want accurate takes and accurate analysis, and you want to stand up against the injustices of 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 irrational fans. Fan is short for fanatic, by the way. So I, 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 I there, there's a, there's a good part of you, Vagabond John. You have a good heart. And you want accurate analysis, and and you're fighting for that. You're pushing back against unreasonable fans. I do believe that. But I think somewhere in the last couple of months, I I think you maybe you lost your way a bit, and this became about just being difficult with everything that's said on the show. (laughs) It's like I think I think the the longer we've gone, Vagabond John, the like you just have to nitpick everything we say and turn it back to Joe Barry. And I, I appreciate and I respect you, your commitment and your aggressiveness with that bit. I, I just, you don't think that Joe Barry should still be here. And I, I've talked to you about this. Like you think it's probably a good thing they're letting Joe Barry go. So what are we arguing about? Like here we are, here we are on January 24th. What, what are we, can we lay down our saber? Can we, can we, can we pull the Joe Barry hype train into the station and realize it had a good run? I'm not disagreeing with you. I think Joe Barry's defense was mostly fine this year. And I don't think their secondary is full of some some depraved talent. I was fighting with people in Peter Bukowski's mentions today. God knows why I began that. Talking about how, like, no, I actually don't think Jair, Carrington Valentine, Corey Valentine, Keyshawn Nixon, and Darnell Savage, I actually don't think that's a great group of players. I think they're mostly fine, and their performance was mostly fine. I don't think another defensive coordinator comes in here and all of a sudden Carrington Valentine and Corey Valentine's the new Legion of Boom. They just need to be used correctly. No, I don't agree. Vagabond John, I agree with you. I, I, I think I think this is this has become more about you being difficult than it is about the actual truth and accuracy, which is which is where you started earlier in the year. And I believe again your heart was in the right place, but you I think you I think you lost your way a little bit. And that's fine. I, no doubt we'll come together now that Packers season is wrapped up and we're in the throes of Badger basketball season. Let's take a five-minute break. Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports, going to talk about what's next for the Bucks next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports show John Horst speaking with the media right now he's not talking about Doc Rivers tonight he's just taking questions and addressing what happened with Adrian Griffin which I think is smart this quote is bingo and this is what I told Q earlier on in the show when Q called and he said so has their issue been a roster issue or a coaching issue Q is like I think it's 60 40 roster and I'm like look roster ain't perfect but the roster is better than this this is directly from the horses, from the Bucks' mouth, from John Horse mouth. It says, we have an elite offense. We're great in late game situations. Defensively, we have a talent group that can be better than what we've been thus far. Bingo. Not the best defense in the league, not elite, but come on. You shouldn't be a tire fire. 
know, Brooke Lopez and Giannis. And the thing about Giannis, Giannis is a team best player. Giannis wants to play defense. The, the buy-in is, is there. The coach does not have to earn the buy-in defensively of the team's best player and the team's leader. He wants to play defense. They have the personnel to be better than what they've been. Nailed it. Outstanding. Great. Accurate. Accurate statement from John Horst. Love it. All right. Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports senior writer, put out an article earlier today about what comes next for the Bucks. There's some good reporting in there. I asked if he'd come on. He said, absolutely. I talked to him just before the show recorded it. Here's our conversation from earlier. Jake Fisher is here. Yahoo Sports. He's also the author of Built to Lose, a book about how the NBA's tanking era has really changed the way that the league looks and has defined the way that the league has operated the last couple of years. And Jake, you've had some really good reporting as have uh, your other colleagues at Yahoo Sports. I was reading something by Dan Devine earlier today uh, about the Bucks' issues. So let's start with there. The reason that Adrian Griffin has been fired and they have since hired Doc Rivers, scheme was no good, it wasn't landing, philosophy wasn't sticking. I mean, I would watch every night as a Bucks fan. He's a defensive head coach. He's coaching a team led by Giannis who wants to play defense. He's talked about it, and it never really looked right, and it never really made sense. So I think that was the issue. Everything stemmed from that. Um, tell me about what has happened in Milwaukee and what you've heard about their issues that led them to this point. I think from the get-go, when Terry Stotts walked away before the season began, there were already alarm bells going off about just Adrian Griffin's overall fitness for the job, being that there are a ton of assistant coaches who, who look for that number one chair. But being a head coach in the NBA is so much more than just – I mean, it's – so many things it's personality management it's motivation it's holding people accountable and then that's all before you get to the basketball and the basketball is broken into managing minutes and managing schemes and managing rotations and lineup adjustments and player development like there's so many different things that encompass that overall uh, responsibility and no matter what throughout it all like the Bucks were looking at that chair and that job. They were looking for someone to combine all those factors and really position them to be a team that both could be competing for a championship and, and really compete for a championship, not just have a good regular season record and then mm-hmm. fall short in the postseason again. And in doing so, keeping Giannis Antetokounmpo happy and you know, engaged with Milwaukee. So the fact that we saw it in the in-season tournament, and Giannis has even come out publicly a couple of times talking about the lack of idea about what the scheme and the strategy and overall theology was about the defense. Not that there wasn't one, but just that it changed a lot, and there were different ideas. You know, it's it, it both what Milwaukee wanted to try to find someone that would be willing to mix it up and be creative and, and change different looks that Mike Budenholzer necessarily wasn't, but I also think that NBA players going through an 82-game grind, they want some type of identity and understanding of what they're being asked to do on a routine basis. Yeah, yeah. NBA coaches, I mean, would you put it this way? An NBA coach that both succeeds in the regular season and in the postseason has to have just the right amount of structure, right? You need signposts and you need foundational pieces night to night when we're in Detroit on a Tuesday and then Oklahoma City on a Friday. You need things to lean on. But you can't be bound and rigid with those things that you're leaning on. And no wonder first-time head coaches struggle. That's a really tough balance to strike. It is. It is. Especially when you then go out and trade for Damian Lillard, who has never been in a situation where he is not the 
alpha and omega and everything is run around him. So, and that's not to say that Damian Lillard was the problem. I'm just saying that the combination of putting together a new everything that also then featured putting together two massive superstars, global phenomenons, you know, offenses unto themselves, putting them together. That was going to be a challenge for any new coach let alone someone in their first year. Do you think if the Bucks knew that the Dame trade was always going to happen? Because they hired Griffin first, and then it was a couple weeks, it was actually a couple months later when the Dame-Lillard trade was actually consummated. Do you think if the Bucks knew that Dame was on his way, they needed to change something after getting bounced in the first round of the Heat? I don't know if, if they needed to change everything, which is essentially what they did. They shaked up the roster with a new star and a new head coach. I don't know that coaching Bud was ever on the table, but I feel like the Bucks just ended up making more changes than they expected to be making. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I totally make, I, I hear what you're saying. Cause okay. look, a lot of what a front office's job is about is mitigating mistakes and not overreacting and trying to keep as much continuity as possible. So there is a lot of, there's a lot of changeover in Milwaukee when you all of a sudden wake up October 1st, dating back to when, you know, everything hit the fan in game five against Miami. So I, I don't think the Bucks had a real idea that Dame Lillard was going to be involved when they made that decision on their bench because the season had just ended and Damian Lillard was still in theory in Portland and he hadn't given any indication he even wanted to leave, you know. So yeah. there was a real chance that Portland won the lottery, which – you know, they, they entered that night, I believe, with the third best odds, and they finished with the third pick. Um, you know, if they had won that lottery and got Victor Wimanyama, Damian Lillard's in Portland right now. So there's no way that John Horst or, or anyone involved at the top of the decision tree in Milwaukee expected him to come down the pipeline uh, when they made that change first with just parting with Mike Budenholzer, let alone then hiring Adrian Griffin. And I don't think it really – came until the fall when it became very clear to Damian Lillard and his people that Miami was just not going to be an option for him, that he's had to start looking at other scenarios like Brooklyn and Milwaukee that I think the Bucks started to get a real sense that it was a, it was a possible thing he'd, he'd, be, he'd be even welcoming uh, happen for, for a superstar like him in this later stage of his career. You know, it's funny. We talk about how coaching is hard. You're balancing all these things. Running a team, being an exec or an owner is difficult too because you just don't know especially in this league how quickly things change and you don't know what options you may or may not have in a week or in a month you know even as you're changing coaches and and trying to figure out the direction of your team jake fisher is here senior nba reporter at yahoo also get his book built to lose how the nba's tanking era changed the league forever uh two more really quick first you talk to folks all around the league what have you heard from folks outside of milwaukee about the bucks hiring and then micromanaging, and then firing Adrian Griffin only 43 games into his head coaching career. Because I, like, I'm not defending his work on the court. He needed to make improvements as a head coach, but this is brutal. And I could understand why decision makers and coaches around the league would be a little bit put off by how the Bucks handled all this. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone out there is shaking their fist and saying, shame on the Bucks." Okay. I, I do think, like, one thing for sure, Milwaukee was... I mean, the front office were the ones who hired Terry Stotts and wanted to furnish Adrian Griffin's bench with experienced uh, assistant coaches who had been there before in, in, in various capacities. So that was something that I think that's something that I think you could point to and say, "Hey, that wasn't necessarily 
fair, but that happens across the league all over the place. Very few head coaches have full autonomy to hire their assistants. That's that's becoming more and more of a commonality as front offices are getting involved in that process. And the other thing I would say, though, is that the personnel, I mean, the defense being what it is, everyone talks about the downgrade from Damian Lillard or from Drew Holiday to Damian Lillard on the defensive side of the ball. Grayson Allen, from him to Malik Beasley, has also been something that has been a pretty big challenge. And to me, like looking at their lack of real wing stoppers on the roster, it's no surprise that the Bucks are looking at options right now. And I think ultimately to talk to bring it back to like how people are viewing this, it's just kind of the nature of the business. Like it's a crazy business. Sure. You know, like Gutenholzer got fired, people are kind of, you know, not stunned, but like just shell shocked about the sticker price of, of letting go of someone who has that much money on their books and that he had won a title for them. But then Nick Nurse got fired too, and Doc Rivers got like it's just it's a very unforgiving business. And fortunately for Adrian Griffin, he's got several years of millions of dollars still on his contract. Yeah, I, I guess there are there are worse realities, right? You're going to get paid to to not work. It's just brutal. It's a quick turnaround, but that's professional sports. So I wanted to ask you that just because I, I was curious. It is a, a really tough couple of months for the Bucks' decision-making and for their process, but when you're a championship robust team, right, this is how you have to operate. Lastly, you reported today and you hinted at it. The Bucks are shopping Portland's early second, maybe Pat Connaughton and campaign. That's some money that they can match. They are looking as, as Doc Rivers hiring is the beginning of, of change, not as the end, it would seem. What are they looking to do? Where are they sniffing around? What are you hearing about what the Bucks might do next? They're definitely sniffing around names that are defensive-minded players and definitely players on the perimeter. So Pat Connaughton and campaign together would get Milwaukee to $12.5 million. So to me, that ranges guys like Matisse Teibel uh, in Portland now. I know my buddy Sean Hyken who covers the Blazers very closely. Uh, he, sorry, I'm getting a call. He, uh, You're good. he suggested that Matisse Tybel might not necessarily want to reunite with the head coach that he just had in Philadelphia in Doc Rivers. That's something to keep an eye on. But um, uh, I think ultimately there's plenty of opportunity for wing players like, you know, Royce O'Neal, you know, those types of guys that are in that range for, mm-hmm. for Milwaukee to look at. But the name I heard in that range is, is Matisse Tybal. If they want to get into the Bruce Brown, DeJounte Murray sweepstakes, which I've heard, um, they're going to need to put Bobby Portis' deal or contract in the deal as well. And to me, that seems like a little too rich for Milwaukee's blood. But we'll see. Yeah, they've gone through a lot of change, uh, a lot of foundational pieces or voices. You know, Drew Holiday's gone now. Adrian Griffin gone too. I you know, you start wheeling and dealing with Bobby Portis, man alive. You drive through Milwaukee, every other billboard is Bobby. So I guess we'll just see exactly how nuts the Bucks want to get over the next couple weeks for the trade deadline. Jake Fisher, I appreciate you so much. Thank you coming for coming on and, and helping us fill in some of these cracks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, wrapping things up. Bill Michaels Huddle coming up at 6 o'clock. I love having someone on after me. The 4 to 6, the afternoon drive show, I don't get to pass the baton 
on to the next person. Unless it's Wednesday night with the huddle or Thursday night. Temple and Heilprin tomorrow night. I'm amped for Temple and Heilprin. Badgers basketball. That win last night was sick. I just, I was giddy in my apartment. I'm not exaggerating. Like, you know, some people, they might hype up how excited they are about a team or game for the sake of the show. No, like last night I was giddy in my apartment because the batters are clinging to a, you know, a three-point lead or they're clinging to life late in the game. And it's really fun in those situations to watch Max Klesmet and and Chucky Hepburn just like almost pass rushers would when playing with the lead, just pin their ears back and dig down and get stops. And opposing point guards in the Big Ten, if it's under two minutes and it's a one-possession game, you cannot add any late. There can be no element of laziness in a pass. You can't have any element of laziness with your dribble. You got to have that ball protected all the time because just one little boop and Chucky Hepburn will stick it out. Just one little throw the hand up in the air, deflect the ball. Max Klusman had one of those last night, passed it along to AJ Storr in transition, get a two-point dunk. Like, I just love watching Wisconsin's backcourt in crunch time defend. And also, Tyler Wall gets a ton of credit. We yelled all of last year. I remember how many times we talked with Cone Roller. It was Big Badger Booster, one of our regular callers. Big Badger fan, an alum as well. You know, just yelling about how Tyler Wall needs to grow up, make his free throws. This is a Big Ten. Okay, this is Wisconsin. This is not some AAU team coached by Tony in Texas. This is not some great Northwest League back in the day when you were in middle school and you'd you know, force your parents to drive you all over the state on Saturdays just to get your ass kicked in a basketball game to play Nintendo DS with your friends in the cafeteria in between games. That one felt weirdly specific to me, didn't it? Did, I, did anyone else have that experience? I couldn't have been the only one. I felt, <laughs> felt a little pointed. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Uh, no, this is the Big Ten. You make your free throws, okay? And Tyler Wall, I don't know what he did. There's more arc on his shot. I don't know how they cooked that up in the lab, but he's making clutch free throws. Minnesota, what they shoot? Minnesota, they shot, what, four of 13 from the line last night? That was terrible. Disgrace to the Big Ten. I think it was five of 13. Let me go check just to make sure. Because I know know the stats need to be 100% accurate for this show to be okay. Yeah, five of 13 from the line. Really like watching Tyler Wall, clutch time, trusting him at the free throw line. Really love watching that backcourt play defense. And I'll also give a shout-out to Carter Gilmore because Carter Gilmore gets treated as a punchline by you animals on Twitter. I see the tweets from Badger basketball fans. Half of Badger basketball fandom on Twitter is complaining that Connor Asijan doesn't get enough run, and the other half is complaining about how Carter Gilmore is a bum. And I look, I'm not telling you that Carter Gilmore is Sam Decker here, but you watch him when, when it's a dead ball. You watch him during a timeout in between free throws, communicating, animated, huddled up. Like, he is an active part of this team. You can tell he's important to this team. So, I, you know, the mainstream media will never give Carter Gilmore credit. It's just, it's not something I'm going to hold my breath for. But I will on this show. I'll, I'll give Carter Gilmore credit. Seems He seems important. I, I would like to, <laughs> hopefully Zach doesn't hear this. I'd like to get back to the Kohl's Center in the next couple of weeks, cover a game, give Zach a night off. Although Zach probably doesn't trust me to do it by myself, so he'd probably also have to go. Uh <laughs> But I, I would love to ask either some players or Greg. I mean, we don't talk much about Carter Gilmore and what he provides to this team. And I think it speaks volumes. Carter Gilmore is averaging about 10 minutes a game on a team that Gus Bus can't get minutes. Connor Siegen can't get minutes. There's players on this roster who I expected to be playing or playing a lot more so far this year. They haven't been playing. And yet Carter Gilmore gets steady minutes. I think that tells us a lot about the importance of his voice and his experience uh, to this team. 
as a basketball player, yes, but as a teammate and as a part of this team, especially when they're, you know, late in a game, hostile road environment, they're at the barn last night, even down a couple of points in the closing minutes, you're playing from behind, needing to get crunch baskets and, and crunch time stops. And, and he's a big part of that, even if it's from the bench during a timeout in between free throws. So I, we might have to... I was going to say change the Carter Gilmore discourse, but let's be real. There's no Carter Gilmore discourse. We need to start the Carter Gilmore discourse four to six on the Wisco sports show. I know we didn't talk about it much. Tonight. I'm also psyched out of my mind about the Reese Hoskins trade. Bring on opening day. I'm ready. Bring on Memorial day where I'm going to be drinking an ice cold line. He's light out on the deck. It's mid fifties, but the sun is out. You can leave the deck door open. No need to even worry with the screen door, fresh air, no bugs. God, I can't wait. Bill Michael Suttle, Joe Barry out. What says Mike Clemens? We'll find out at 630. We'll make our picks for championship weekend as well. Bill Michael Suttle next. Talk to the rest of you tomorrow at 4.